Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the spirit of the living God, Lord, that dwells in us. And we thank you, Father, that you send him to help us in every area of our life. We thank you, Lord, that we're not helpless, but we have the helper inside. And I thank you that he will live big in all of us tonight and throughout this week and throughout our lives. And Father, we thank you tonight for revelation of your word, illustrations of your word, and impartations of the Holy Ghost that empower and enable us to walk out what we have heard. And Father, we thank you for everything that you have done and everything that you will do. And we praise you for it in advance, knowing that we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory for all good things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. The Lord is with us. He is leading us, he's guiding us, and he's directing us. Isn't that right? Yes, he is. And he's helping us. It's good to see all of you out this evening. Uh, I see I didn't run everybody off. That's a, that's a plus, you know. And I went to a church one time and closed. Who is that sitting over there? Where'd you come from? Mayville. They come, Bigfoot lives down in the city they're at. I seen him on a sign or something. They got his picture down there. Our good friends there. And uh, I think they got a church in Mayville and went over in Pennsylvania. Isn't that right? Who? Corey, Pennsylvania. Yes. And uh, the Lord's still working on them. <laughs> like he is all of us. But if you want to know where Bigfoot lives, just ask them. They know all about him. <laughs> it's for real, you know. I think it won't be long. They'll have him saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues and just, just get this thing going. But we live in times we need to know what the Holy Ghost is saying. We need to know what he's doing and what direction he has for us in our lives. Because, you know, the Bible, the Word of God, I really, I don't believe in a sense that you could preach a message that somebody else hadn't already preached it to a certain degree. But what God does is emphasize what we need for the moment, the time, the hour, and the season that we're in. Because we go through different seasons in the world, in, in our lives, and also spiritually. So he wants us to know what's going on. Isn't that right? Yeah. Remember this. It was the second week of uh, January. On uh, actually Monday night, I went to bed, slept soundly, and at 1.15 a.m. in the morning, which would be Tuesday morning, 1.15 a.m. in the morning, I sat straight up in the bed and, because the Spirit of God came on me. You know, he can knock you out, but he can set you up. <laughs> he can. He can. I sat straight up in the bed, and then the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, don't yield to distractions, because this year will be a year of distractions. It will be a time of distractions where the enemy is going to try to distract us out of the place that God has for us especially in our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can get so busy with just natural activities, you understand, and having to deal with situations and circumstances that it takes away our time from seeking God. And God is our only source of hope and help in this world. I mean, you can get a measure of help naturally, but supernatural help only comes from God. Isn't that right? So the Lord said that to me. And I said, well, Lord, I hadn't been hearing a lot about that. And he said, if you remember, he said, I said to you at the end of last year, 
He said that this coming year would be a year that there would be spiritual opposition that would come against the church, that would come against people, that would come against you. And he said, I tell you these things in advance to prepare you for it. Not to get you in fear, but to get you in faith. And make sure that you know what to do when the situation comes. Now remember, we talked about that. This morning, you know, we went and the Lord, when he, when he woke me up, he not only gave me that about not being distracted and told me this would be a year of distractions, how the enemy would come and try to distract the body of Christ, us individually. Then immediately, he gave me revelation in a matter of 30 seconds or less about Mary, Martha and Mary. Remember, I shared that with you this morning about how Mary, Martha was cucumbered about many things. <laughs> I'm teaching you how to read these words in the King James language. He, he, she was cumbered, which means she was worried about many things. And she got mad at Mary, her sister, because Mary wouldn't help in her serve refreshments. The fried chicken, the black-eyed peas, and the cornbread, you know, and the sweet tea and all that stuff there because Jesus was a guest at her home and some of his disciples there, maybe all of them. And so she's busying herself and, and, you know, she would look out of the kitchen door. Remember I told you, it's not written in the Bible. You got to go to heaven with me to find out these things, you know. She'd look out the kitchen door, Martha would, and Mary be sitting there looking at Jesus. And she'd look at Martha like, you better get in here. And I'm telling you, which was proper. It was right to serve in the, that culture, our culture too, your culture here. It's proper. And Mary would look at her and quickly look away back to Jesus, you know. And so she was kind to giving him, we call them hateful looks in the country, you know. Martha was giving him hateful looks and then she would walk by her and get close to her on purpose and kick her on the rear end while she was sitting on the floor. <laughs> said, Brother Randy, is that in the Bible? It's real life, I'm telling you. <laughs> then finally, I mean, this went on for a while for Martha to work up the courage to go to ask Jesus. And he said, Jesus, why don't, I'm just paraphrasing, why don't you make Mary get up and help me serve? What did Jesus say? Martha, Martha. Why? Because she was so busy, so cucumbered, so worried about serving that she couldn't even focus on what she'd be focusing. So he had to call her name twice to get her attention. He said, you're worried and troubled about many things, Jesus said. He said, but Mary which is her sister, has chosen the needful part and it shall not be taken from her. Yeah. Notice we pointed this out, that Mary wouldn't even be moved by family members, right. even her agitated, angry sister. She said that, isn't that right? In other words, she wasn't going to let anybody take her out of that place because she knew the most important thing in her life was the honor of sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to what he said, receiving an anointing from him. Isn't that right? Sitting at his feet. Thank God for that. And she wanted, Martha wanted Jesus to make Mary stop doing what she was doing, but Jesus wouldn't do it. And he basically told her, you need to stop what you're doing, Martha, and you need to be sitting down here where Mary is. 
Then that's not written just like that in the Bible because the King James folks didn't know how to write that way. I'm just telling you what they should have wrote. That's right. Because that's what Jesus was telling her. So what had she done? It wasn't wrong to serve. It wasn't wrong to be a good guest host. I mean, a host in a house where you got guests. It wasn't wrong. It was all proper protocol. Even in our culture, your culture, it's proper to be friendly to people and serve people refreshments and things. But what she had done is she had taken it to the extreme, to the, to the point that those things became more important to her than Jesus himself. When things become more important to us than Jesus, it's a distraction. And the enemy wants to make sure that he brings many distractions before us to keep us out of that personal time with God. Yes, we need corporate time. Yes, we need corporate meetings. Yes, we need to be in church. But you also need to have a one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. All men and women need to know the Lord themselves personally. And the only way to do that is to spend time in his presence. We'll talk about that a little bit as we go on. But notice, Jesus said, you're, you're lacking one thing. Remember, he was telling Martha that one thing. And then remember, from there, we went to uh, the rich young ruler. Remember, he came to Jesus. Remember, he ran to Jesus, which is admirable. Then he knelt down before Jesus, which is wonderful. But then Jesus gave him instructions. And uh, the rich young ruler decided that he couldn't pay that price. Notice this. Remember, we showed you in the Bible where Jesus looked at him and loved him. But even though Jesus loved him, he didn't tell him he was all right in the condition that he was in. It's all right to love people. We love everybody, but we tell them the truth if they need to change. Isn't that right? Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's in your Bible. I believe it's what was it? Mark 10 somewhere in there? Mark something or another. It's in the Bible. You find it. But he went away sorrowful and sad, the rich young ruler. Why? Because he had one thing. Jesus told him one thing that you're lacking. He said, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Jesus didn't tell him you're going to be broke the rest of your life. He was about to sow the biggest seed he had ever sown, is what we call it. And it was going to set him up for a miracle. It had to. Well, because the Bible teaches seed time and harvest. It had to. But what he was trying to do is separate the man from the money because the money had more of the man than the man had of Jesus. Isn't that right? And then remember, we walked through the pages of the Word of God, I believe, to Acts 15. You remember this? About being distracted. And remember, Paul and Barnabas, close associates, had prayed a lot together, seen many miracles together, cast out devils together, a lot of wonderful things, a lot of people born again. Churches founded and started under their ministries. Paul got it in his heart that he told Barnabas, let's go back to where we have been and establish people in their faith to make sure that they're doing good. Encourage them in the Lord because he knew that there would be opposition. He knew that there'd be distractions. And uh, Barnabas said, okay, but I'm going to take John Mark with me. I'm going to take him. I want to take him. And Paul said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Said, we're not going to take uh, John Mark with us, Mark. We're not going to take him. 
Why? Because he went with them on another missionary journey, was supposed to go, and he didn't finish it to the end. They was constantly having to prop him up to the point that he became a distraction to the ministry that the Paul and Barnabas were supposed to be carrying out. And finally he left them and went back home to mama or somewhere to see how Kate the mule was doing or, or something, you know. He got concerned about his mule or somebody. And, and he went back and he got to thinking about mama's crackling cornbread. Oh my God. I know you and you, you don't know nothing about no good bread till you get some crackling, crackling cornbread. What that is is hog skin mixed in with the batter. I'm telling you, I, I, it'll give you a physique like Superman. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, it'll put you over. It'll put you over. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. But Paul said, Barnabas ain't going to take him. Well, it ain't written in the King James because they didn't know how to talk that way. So I'm trying to help you understand. We're not going to take him. And the contention became so great that there was a large, major disagreement between the grace preacher, Paul, and Barnabas, I always got to point this out. Yeah. Barnabas, I mean, Paul preached grace. He introduced us to grace. But grace did not take the place of obedience when it comes to John Mark. He required that John Mark have the character to go with his confession. Don't get me excited. I might run the top of these chairs. I'm telling you the truth about it. We believe in grace. We believe in biblical grace, but it does not take away from you the responsibility of developing the character of God in your life or my life. The grace preacher himself would not allow John Mark to go with them because he did not meet the qualifications. Paul knew that he was going to be distracted by John Mark because he assumed he would because he had been before. And he needed somebody strong to go strengthen people, not have to strengthen John Mark on the whole journey. Right, right, right. Acts 15, we covered this this morning. You can go back and get the recording if you're listening on live stream or whatever. And you can hear the whole story and read the scriptures. But I'm just covering some, reiterating Brother Hagin used to call it yeah. on purpose to get to another place. But anyway, eventually now we can say this, John Mark undoubtedly developed the character of God. Because later, Paul, he was an associate with Paul. But one thing that you'll notice is you don't notice much about Barnabas from then on. <laughs> right? Notice this. Even though there was two preachers, Paul was not going to be led by a preacher. And we thank God for preachers. But remember, you taught me this morning. Remember those two words or three words? What's good for the goose is good for the what? What applies to you in the pew applies to us up here. But he wouldn't even be led astray by a preacher. His bosom buddy. He said, nope. He said, this is, this is out of the will of God. This is not God's plan. This is not God's will. This is a grace preacher telling him that. Paul was a grace preacher, you know. He taught us about grace. But he still believed in qualifications for ministry. And he believed that John Mark... Now, remember this. I taught you this morning about the commentators, sweet potatoes, and, and, and all them kind of things. But remember, I'm not even a tater. 
but I'm just saying what the commentator says, that possibly John Mark was related to Barnabas, and that's why Barnabas had such an affection for him. Wanted to give him another chance. But the grace preacher said, no. <laughs> I ain't going to give him another chance. That scoundrel is going to grow up before he goes with me. He'll get us all killed out there. Isn't that right? So there's a time that you may just get in a disagreement, but just go on with God. Isn't that right? Paul would not be distracted and was not going to allow John Mark to become a distraction. So remember, John, uh, uh, Paul chose Silas. Remember that? And they went out on a missionary journey. And remember, you remember the story. I sang you a song this morning, you know. Paul and Silas was in the jail at the midnight hour. God heard him sing and got to patting his foot and made the jailhouse rock. And remember, <laughs> y'all thought Elvis done it, but it didn't. It was God. And then I sing you that song this morning. I think I'm going to bring a pastor in my career path and, <laughs> and teach him some of these songs. You know? <laughs> oh, was your car here when you left today? <laughs> if you wasn't here, you, you wouldn't understand it. But was it here? Was it all right and everything? I stopped them just in time. I'm telling you, just in time. Because we'd have paid for that bill. I'm telling you, we'd have paid for it right up front. We went and bought the whole city block. We'd have done it. But notice, in all these cases, it was about distraction. Paul was going to be focused on the mission that God called him to, and he wouldn't allow anything to distract him. And... Uh, Mary was focused on listening to Jesus and wasn't going to let her sister distract him. The rich man, he allowed his wealth to distract him from serving God and being obedient to God. So remember, the Holy Ghost said, this year, there will be coming distractions in this year. He said, don't yield to distractions. That doesn't mean that they won't come. He didn't say that. They're going to come. And he told me that this year would be a year of spiritual opposition. I didn't prophesy because I didn't, uh, I said it to a few, you know, but I didn't prophesy because everything that I heard was a bed of roses, you know. And I believe that God's taking care of us and watching over us. It's a prosperous year. He's with us. He's on our side. But he told me to get ready for it. He said spiritual warfare will be found in the year of 2020. And I'm not talking about some goofy off the wall stuff where you're fighting the devil in combat boots and fatigues. If you don't remember the era of, and I'm not belittling anybody, but the era of Larry Lee, if you don't remember that era. Yeah. You know, they would actually come on the platform in combat boots and, and uh, army uniforms, you know, dressed up and they'd be fighting the devil. Then it got into warring tongues. And then they got into where they would have to uh, hire this... Uh, jumbo jet to fly them around the city and, and they would pull down strongholds and then they would get in the highest building in the city and, and they would pull down strongholds. In fact, uh, Dan Hagen, it, it brought him to the point the Lord had him write the book called The Triumphant Church to deal with it. That's where it all come from because of error in the body of Christ. So I'm not talking about that. But there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It don't say we don't wrestle, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what the Bible says. 
There is a spiritual warfare. In fact, I wrote a newsletter on that and I'm not getting into all of that about Jezebel and all that. And I've never been one to even preach on Jezebel. Never even thought about Jezebel. You know. Y'all know Jezebel, don't you? She lived next door. <laughs> but Jezebel and King Ahab, you know. Domination. She totally dominated. Tore down the altars of God. Put up altars to the devil. Took away the things of God, you know. It was opposition against the kingdom of God and then God raised up Elijah, remember? And the prophets of Baal, remember he had them slain down there? You know, he called fire down from heaven, stuff like that. So anyway, I wrote a newsletter on all that. But, and that was just at the end of last year when the Lord began to talk to me about this year. But if you would say, then if we don't want to be distracted, and I don't want to be distracted and you're talking about what not to do, what should I do then? Somehow I knew that you stayed up all day to ask that question. You said, when I get to church tonight, I, I can't wait to get there. I'm going to ask him this question because he's saying what not to do, what not to do, what not to do, what not to do. All right, I'm preacher, I hear what not to do. What do you want me to do? I knew you was going to ask me that question. And that's a good question. I appreciate you asking it. Turn in your Bible to Joshua chapter 1. Because you want to know. Now, we decided that we're not going to let things distract us. I'm not saying distractions won't come, but we're not going to let them overtake us, overpower us. We're going to deal with them and sail through them. Isn't that right? Because if you live godly in this earth, you're going to suffer persecution and you're going to suffer opposition. Brother Hagin taught us over and over, you're not going to float through life on flowery beds of ease. That don't mean that we're going under. We're always going over, but you've got to exercise your faith and do what the Bible says. There are some steps, and we'll put it like this, principles that you can apply and I can apply in the seeking the Lord. Because if I'm not going to be distracted, what do I do when I'm not distracted? I've determined I'm not going to be distracted. There's some simple truths that if you apply to your life, I'll guarantee you by the word of God, you'll become a spiritual giant. And I'm not lifting you up, you understand, or puffing you up, or trying to fill you with pride. I'm just talking to you this way. It's a better way to say it. You'll know the Lord on a level like you have never known him before. These simple steps. Jesus is simple. You know, I come up with solutions around the office and all that kind of stuff and all these uh, whiz kids and degrees and masters and doctors and all that kind of stuff. And they're figuring, and I'm, I appreciate all that kind of stuff, you know. And they didn't figure this and that to the 10th power to this 2 pi 5 and 6 and R and all, all that, uh, you know. <laughs> then all of a sudden, just simple wisdom will pop out of my mouth. And I said, we never even thought about that. No, that's a good idea. Never. What? How, how'd you get that? I said, you got to be simple-minded like I am. <laughs> I don't know what to do without the Lord. Just be simple-minded. The Lord is simple. Oh, and I believe this. You're going to have an encounter with Jesus. If you'll imply these little principles, they're not anything new. 
but it's things we forget. It is. And I'm not getting on to anybody, but we have a tendency. We're human. We're like that uh, wind-up energizer rabbit, you know. Wind him up. And he jumps around everywhere, you know. And then all of a sudden, he, he runs out. And we're just human. We're that way. So we have to constantly be reminded, or put it like this, I would say consistently, remind ourselves of simple truths that will bring us into a personal relationship with Jesus where you can know his voice. You can know, and I'm not talking about just an audible voice because usually the way he speaks to you, you know the number one way he speaks to you? You ready for this? The number one way that God speaks to all of his people is the written word of God. Until you can hear his voice in this word, you're not going to hear it in the spirit. So that's why it's important to number one, right here, meditate on the word of God. We're not going to be distracted. So what are we going to do in the time we're not being distracted? We're going to give ourselves to the Lord. But number one, and I'm, I'm saying this, what I'm saying to you tonight now, it's not something I thought up today. It's not something that I worked and labored and slaved over. I was lying down on my bed, just praying in the spirit, saying, Lord, what do you want to do? I'm just, that's my custom. What do you want to do? What do you want to say? What do you want to do? Just pray in the spirit. Lord, what do you want to do? Just put them up. Dad Hagen called it putting your spiritual antenna up. He said, this is what you tell them. So this is what we're telling you. Exactly what the Lord told me. Now, it's just as applicable to me as it is anybody else. But in Joshua chapter 1, verse number something another. It's in the Bible, isn't it? It's verse 8. Is that where it is? said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Stop right there. This book of the law, the word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth. Well, read the rest of it. Wait. Until you do this, there ain't no need to read the rest. This is the first step that you take in meditating on the word of God. In fact, can I just say this and don't, don't take it the wrong way. We need to read through the Bible in a year or 40 years or 100 years, whatever it is you want to do it in, you know. But you can read the whole Bible and not have revelation of one scripture. It's not just reading it, it's becoming revelation to you. So the reason that you want to keep the word of God in your mouth is so it becomes revelation to you. He keep it in your mouth. That's what the Bible says, isn't that right? The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. And we know he was talking about the Torah, you know, the first five books of the Bible. We got the whole Bible today. It says, but thou shalt what? Meditate therein whenever you want to. Isn't that what it says in your Bible? It says day and night. In other words, you need to have a consciousness of the word of God all the time. Amen. That's what he's talking about. Meditate therein day and night. Be conscious of the word of God. When any situation arises, the first question you should ask is what 
does the Bible say? Amen. Dad Hagen used to teach us that. Your pastors have taught us that. You've probably taught that if you've taught ministry. What does the Bible say? And of course, we look to all this. What does this say? What does Google say? Goggle say? Whatever say? And Alexa say? Or Lisa said? Or Julie said? Or what's it say? And uh, what's that other one? Siri? Siri? I tell you the truth about it. You, you know, I'm a patient fella. I, I tell you the truth about it. But there'd been a few times I almost threw that woman out the window. I, I just tell you the truth about it. <laughs> If I hadn't known, I'd have lost my sanctification for doing it. I'd have threw it out. My God. That woman can't understand good Southern talk. I'm just telling you the truth about it. <laughs> throw her out the doggone window. Fool with me, I'll back over it. <laughs> Don't listen to me. Listen to your pastor. But he said here, meditate. Thou shalt meditate there in what? Day and night. Have a consciousness of God's word at all times. That's what he's talking about. Have a consciousness of it. Think about it. He said, what do you mean? You know how you got distractions that come, situations that come, and then you get to begin to think about it. Well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? Uh, what am I going to do about this? What, well, if we could replace that with what the Bible says and start meditating on the Word. How often do we do it? Day and night. The word meditate it carries with it the idea of muttering aloud to yourself. You know, saying it aloud to yourself. You're keeping your mouth, but saying it aloud to yourself. But meditate on it when? Day and night. Why? that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, then when? After you've kept the word in your mouth, after you've meditated on it day and night, or have a consciousness of it, and you do according to what is all written therein, for then, after you've done that, thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Notice, you're going to make your way prosperous. You're going to make your way prosperous. You're going to make your way prosperous. How prosperous do you want to be? How successful do you want to be? Isn't that right? You're going to do it. Why? By practicing this simple principle. I said, Brother Randy, that's too easy. I know. That's why most folks don't do it. They're looking for something hard. And then they're sure not going to do that, you know. But it's just simple. It said meditate. Because we're not going to be distracted. See, we don't want to be distracted. And that's what the Lord was encouraging us. Don't be distracted from spending time with Him. The way you start spending time with the Lord is meditating on His Word. Reading His Word. And again, I'm not against reading through the Bible 40 times, 100 times, or whatever. You know, reading through it in a month, or whatever you want to do, or a week. But it would be better to have revelation of one scripture than to read the whole Bible and not understand what it's saying. There's a difference between revelation of God's Word and information of God's Word. You want it to become revelation to your spirit. Can I give you a good example of this? 
And it's actually from Jesus himself. It's not from me, even though I could give you illustrations about me. Uh, you know, along these lines and learning things, you know, by the Spirit of God. So what, it's a difference, again, there's a difference between information of God's Word, information about what it says. There's a difference between that and revelation of what the Holy Ghost says it says. Dad Hagen is in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, in December of 1953. Remember that demon? I was telling you about that story this morning. And this demon ran between him and Jesus. And he could not hear what Jesus was saying and he could not see Jesus because the devil put up some kind of screen or something so he couldn't uh, see Jesus. And he was thinking in his mind, why don't he do something about it? Why don't Jesus do something about it? And just kept thinking, don't he know I need to hear this? Beth Hagen was saying you know, to himself about Jesus not doing something about it. Finally, in frustration and desperation, Dad Hagen said to that demon, I command you to shut up and stop in Jesus' name and immediately flop and hit the floor in the spirit. He said, I command you to get out of here and it got up and run off. Jesus looked at him and said, if you had not done that, I could not have done it. Yeah. Isn't that right? If you had not done it. And remember Dad Hagen's response? He said, dear Lord Jesus, I didn't hear you correctly. You meant to say that you didn't want to do anything about it, not that you could not do anything about it. And Jesus said, no, that's not what I said. He said, I told you that if you had not done something about that demon. Now, I want to point out something to you here. You want a revelation? That was a little demon. It was a little demon. Say little demon. Little demons will cause big problems if not dealt with. Amen. It was causing Dan Hagen a problem. Yes. When he dealt with it, it stopped immediately, and they will you too. Amen. But you've got to deal with it. That little demon caused big problems until Dad Hagen stopped it in the name of Jesus. And so the third time, Jesus told him again. He said, if you had not done that, he said, I could not have done anything about it. I couldn't stop that devil. And then Brother Hagen said, dear Lord Jesus, I know I didn't hear you correctly. He said, I can't accept this, even though I see you standing right here, just as plainly as I've ever seen anybody in my life. I cannot accept this. He said, you're going to have to give me at least two or three scriptures in the Bible that proves to me what you're saying. He said, I'll go you one better. He said, I'll give you four scriptures in the New Testament that proves to you what I'm saying. Brother Hagin said, uh, he opened his mouth up, the old country saying this, and put his foot in it. <laughs> he said, dear Lord Jesus, he said, I've read through the New Testament 150 times and portions of it more than that. And he said, if there's anything in there like you are saying, he said, I sure don't know it. Jesus looked at him and said, son, there's a lot of things in there that you don't know. <laughs> Brother Hagin had information, but he didn't have the revelation. He could have quoted every scripture that Jesus quoted to him, but he didn't understand them with the revelation of God. So many people go at the Bible for information instead of revelation. It takes time thinking about it deeply, meditating upon it yes. for the Spirit of God to reveal that deeper meaning to your spirit because that is when it's going to help you. It's going to cause you to prosper. It's going to cause you to be successful because the Bible says so. Isn't that right? So you got that illustration. You remember that story? 
You can read it. It's in Brother Hagin's books and materials and his recordings. He told that story. But remember, Brother Hagin had information because he'd read the Bible, but didn't have revelation of that truth. And of course, Jesus gave him the scriptures and proved to him in the Bible that nowhere in the New Testament was any believer ever told to pray to him, to God the Father, or anybody else to do something about the devil. But the believer's always told to do something about the devil himself. Jesus told Dad Hagin, he said, I delegated my authority on this earth to the church. And he said, the church must exercise that authority if they're going to have success over the devil. Isn't that right? So the first step principle, you could say, a truth you could apply to your life and, and not being distracted is meditate on the word of God. Meditate on it. And I'll tell you how the Lord works for me. And he may not do the same with you. Sometimes, uh, you know, when I wake up in the morning, not every time, but sometimes there'll be a scripture just rolling around in me. And I know the Lord. Sometimes it'll be in Isaiah. Sometimes it'll be over there in Deuteronomy. Sometimes it'll be over in Corinthians. Sometimes it'll be in James. And I'll know that the Lord just wants me to look at that. And the more I look at it, the more I meditate on it, the more I think deeply about it, it begins. I, I said, I see that. I see that. I had never seen that before. Yes, it becomes revelation to me. And I begin to understand it on a different level. This opens up so much to you yeah. as far as revelation goes. I'm not talking about goofy, kooky stuff. But just you understand the mind of God. When you get revelation, you've got the mind of God. Not the mind of man. Not what you think. Not what somebody else is thinking. But the revelation of his word is the mind of God. It's what God thinks about that scripture. And the scriptures can have even deeper meanings than to what the Lord shows you initially. He can show you something about that same scripture later and apply it in a different way. It's just amazing how he does it. So what is the first thing we're going to do? We're going to meditate on the word of God. We're going to read it, of course, but we're going to meditate. And we're going to keep a consciousness of the word of God. We're not going to be distracted. We're not going to let anything or anybody distract us from that. Is that all right? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Verse number 1. The second truth that we can apply in waiting upon the Lord is spending time in prayer. And we're going to talk about three ways to pray that will help you. Three ways. Say, so Brother Randy, this is too simple. Remember, I'm simple-minded. You don't need no deep two pi R. You just need a, a simple truth because this is the way it works. But in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, it says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh to men unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies or builds up himself, but he that prophesies edifies or builds up the church. I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. So what he's saying is, is tongues and interpretation is equal to prophecy. But 
standing alone, it's not. Prophecy has the higher rank. That's what it says. He that prophesies, right? But when you're speaking in tongues, if you don't interpret it, it don't stand on the same level. Verse 6 says, Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Can I take a side journey right here? And, and this is something the Lord showed me back many years ago. When you're ministering the Word of God as a minister or you're sharing the Word of God or teaching the Word of God, what are you, there's only four categories that you can be in, in the Spirit, according to the Bible, and minister effectively the Word of God. Now, you want to know what those four things are. And you're saying, i got to have it now. Or I'm going to throw Siri down and stomp it. I'm telling you right now. Because Siri don't know this. Verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by what? Number one, you're going to speak by revelation. Two, by knowledge, is knowledge that God gives you, or by prophesying, a supernatural utterance, or by doctrine. Four different ways. Four ways. It's in the Bible, right? Verse 7 says, Even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise, you, except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For you shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, I know, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh unto me a barbarian unto me. In other words, they don't understand one another. Even so you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Verse 13 says, Wherefore let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue <clears throat> pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit praying, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with my understanding also and I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Verse 15, <clears throat> ways to pray when you're seeking God. Here he says, what is it then? I will pray with the what? Spirit. <clears throat> pray in the Spirit. Now, there's different ways to pray in the Spirit, but the most way that we know is speaking in unknown tongues. But also, you can pray in the Spirit with your known language. The gift of prophecy can come on you, and you can be actually prophesying while you're praying under an anointing. It's not something you work up. It's something that comes on you. It happens to me many times, especially in corporate prayer meetings, where I'm speaking a lot in English for the edifying of everybody that's praying with us, you know. But I do pray in other tongues. So we pray in the Spirit, he's teaching us here, and we also pray with our understanding. When you're praying in the Spirit, according to these verses here, sometimes your understanding is unfruitful. You don't know what you're praying. And people want to know what I'm praying. You know, what am I praying? What am I praying? The Bible says pray that you get the interpretation, but if God doesn't give you the interpretation right then, you don't need to know it. Isn't that right? So you want to pray in the Spirit, with your spirit, 
And then you want to pray with your understanding. And then as you're praying in the spirit, in other tongues, praying with your understanding, and then the gift of prophecy may come. The simple gift of prophecy can come on you and you can actually begin to speak out things by the spirit. Does anybody remember a good example of this? Does anybody remember Dad Hagen in this uh, last Winter Bible Seminar of 2003, in February 2003? Remember, he took the pulpit. He stood it in the pulpit. The uh, uh, singers had just sat down. When he stood up, he, he began to try to speak in English and he spoke in tongues. And then, you know, he went back and said a few words in English and then he, he spoke in tongues again. And then he looked around. And I think uh, Rich King or somebody was sitting there and he said, uh, somebody get me a chair where I can sit down because I'm about to fall down. Y'all remember that? And he sat in that chair. He said, everybody sit down. Everybody pray. So he started praying in the spirit in the spirit for approximately, I'm guesstimating here, 25 minutes, maybe 30. was there, you know, praying in the spirit. Then all of a sudden he stopped praying in the spirit in an unknown tongue and he started speaking in English. He began to interpret in English everything he had just prayed. By prophecy, he was speaking, he spoke about the year 2003, 2004, 2005, and 2006, and we've never walked in 2006 yet. We hadn't. Jesus said it would be glorious. And there's reasons. But anyway, he prophesied about it. But in that, he spoke in tongues. And then he spoke by the Spirit and, and spoke it out through prophecy. And he interpreted the tongue because it's equal to prophecy. When he interpreted his tongue, it's equal to prophecy. He spoke it out and told us what was going to come in 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006. Does anybody remember that? Did anybody read that? You can actually go get it. I think we even got it on our website somewhere. I don't know exactly. Chris would know. But anyway, we got it somewhere. So that was God. So when you're praying, though, and you're spending time with God, I'm talking about on a personal, individual basis. When you're praying and you don't know what you're saying when you're speaking in an unknown tongue, you pray with your knowledge. Pray for yourself, pray for others, you know, first, put other people first, but pray for your family, pray for your spouse, pray for your children, pray about your job, pray about your situation. There's nothing wrong with that. God wants you to pray for others, put others first, but if you need to pray about your own self, can I tell you about my experience? Are you sure? Are you ready for this? Let me tell you about an orange super beetle, 1974 Volkswagen. I don't know if you can handle this or not. <laughs> I was, uh, have been in the habit for years of doing this, but I was going to Bible school and at Rama, you know, and I'd get up every morning and I'd spend a minimum of one hour, minimum, of meditating on the word first, just like I'm talking about, meditating, reading it, letting it become revelation to me. Then I'd pray with my understanding as far as I knew to pray about things that we were facing. My wife and I, before our son was born, you know, and things we were facing, things that I was facing, I'd, I'd ask the Lord about it, ask the Lord's help. And then I said, Lord, now I don't know how to pray about other things that may be coming my way, but I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost right now. Just go get in the Spirit and pray in the Spirit 
believing that you're going to establish my day. You're going to take care of my wife. You're going to take care of my family. And even though I don't know what's coming my way naturally, you do. I believe that you're going to work it out for me. And I started praying that way. And I mean, it was just amazing how the anointing just comes. I mean, I would do it every day. This particular day happened to be a Saturday morning. And I wanted to go fishing that day. <laughs> hadn't been fishing in a long time. But I wanted to go fishing. So I waited for my wife to wake up. You know what I mean? It's better to let her wake up. <laughs> you know, there's old saying in the country that folks need their beauty sleep. What are they talking about? They're beautiful while they're sleeping. Oh my God. <laughs> you better not wake them up. You know how some of these folks are. You better let them come too by themselves. Of <laughs> course, she, she got up early. She worked too, but I wanted to go a fishing. And we got up, I mean, and I got through my praying, you know, and I done ready and excited, get my little orange Volkswagen, you know, and I had a 1963 Ford picking up truck. I'd rebuilt the engine in that, and the rainbow guys that knew me said it'll never run again. I said, boys, come on. I said, I'll show you. I'll start this thing on the third turn. I mean, I tore it down. Board the block 60 over. If any mechanics are in here. Turned the crank. Turned the head. Put it back together. All them parts and gears. Poured some gas in the carburetor. <laughs> and them boys said, it's a miracle. <laughs> so I had old 63 Ford pickup truck. But it was raining what we call in the country cats and dogs. What this got to do with not being distracted and seeking God? Just hang on. Just hang on. We'll get there in a minute. So my wife, you know, you should always listen to your wife. She said, it's raining so hard. We don't need to be going fishing and it's raining. Where are we going? I said, well, back down, young, you got to turn here and go down that road and get on this logging road and turn out here because that's where the big fish are. And go down through there and all. We can't go out there. I said, oh, this Volkswagen will go anywhere. If you ever had old a Beetle, you know, if you, if you had a mechanic tool bag with you, they'll go anywhere. Because you always are working on them, you know. But uh, keeping them going. So she, I talked her into it, you know, come on. Got the fishing poles and we got down through there. And remember, I'd spent my time like I was supposed to, asking God to help me that day. And what I didn't know is while I was praying in other tongues, what I was saying to God is, God, I'm going to do something stupid and I'm going to do something crazy today. And Lord, I, I want you to just fix it already. Just fix it for me, Lord, fix it. Now, I didn't know I was praying that. He kept that from me, you know. But I was just telling him how stupid I was and how I shouldn't be doing these things, but I was going to do them anyway, but please get me out of what I do, you know? I'm praying in the Spirit. I'm telling you, it works. It works in every area. He'll help you. Oh, he'll be with you even when you do something stupid. Do something crazy. He'll help you. You take that time and put him first. Like Pastor taught us, was telling us, put him first. So we got down there, and sure enough, we come to the word you had to turn off the paved road onto the dirt road. My wife said, don't go down there. We'll get stuck. You can't tell a country boy he's going to get stuck. My God, no. 
No, we're going to try it. My Lord, we're going through it. I'm telling you, we're going to do it. We're going to sling some mud here. I turned down that road, went down that road about a mile. I mean, there ain't nobody out there. I mean, just to cows, and they're hiding under the trees looking and saying, what's that stupid fool doing out here? They was what they call moo-talking, moo-talking, moo. Uh, Kate, do you see that crazy boy over there? Ralph, I see him. Yeah, this guy, is, he's out of his mind. He's down here in the Volkswagen. Don't he know there's some buttholes? And I turned right, because you have to turn right, and you have to wiggle back down through the swamps, you know. When I turned right, there was a sea of water out in front of me as long as a football field. Now, I'm talking about football like down there, you know. 100 yards, I don't know how many. Anyway, <laughs> something or another. Good for a piece. My wife said, don't go down there. We'll get stuck. Well, God will take care of us. My God, where, where? No, don't go down there. Don't go down there. <laughs> but you know how we do. Oh, y'all know how we do. I said, well, this thing's got a pan on it. You know, a Volkswagen's got a pan, you know, under the bottom. As long as you ain't got many holes in it, it'll float a while. <laughs> I said, I'm going to get me a running start, and I'm going to ski this Volkswagen across this thing. My God. I've done it before. It's not deep water, but done it. And she's over there. Don't go, don't go. And I tore off. I tore off like a wild cheetah in the African jungle. My God, yeah. And we got approximately halfway through it and she sat out on me. My God, sat down. And I looked at my wife like, don't you say a word. <laughs> Y'all know how it goes. That's why they don't invite me for the marriage seminars. But anyway, I tell the doggone truth. <laughs> I told you. And it's pouring. I mean pouring down. You know what pouring down is? It's coming down. What's this got to do with prayer? Waiting on God. Just hold on. I stepped out. I had boots on, my fishing boots. I stepped out. When I stepped out, my legs sunk down in the mud up to right below my knee. I tried to pick my foot up to go around the car and my boot come off my foot. <laughs> and I had to reach down in the mud and get my boot out and I throwed them in the car, barefooted by sock feet, walking around in this mud hole in this Volkswagen. My wife is saying, I told you not to come out here. I told you in this pouring down rain. And I'm out here wondering, what am I going to do? We got the moo cow out there talking moo talks, and that man's crazy. Oh, we want to watch this. Oh, we want to see this sight. I said, God, I should have listened to my wife. <laughs> I should have. I should have. I should have done it, oh God. And I'm walking around, I'm trying to think of some way how I can get this thing, how I can get it back, if I can do anything. If God, if you just get me out of this, I'll never do it again. 
until I get another chance, but I won't do it again. You know, you know how we are. I'm, I'm seeking God though. I'm standing there and I mean, I'm drenched. And you can imagine the conversation by now was intense. Because <laughs> I'm a fix-it guy. I can make it work somehow, you know. But I couldn't do nothing about this. I couldn't fix this. We're stuck. And my wife's a city girl. And she don't like mud. She don't like nothing to do with mud. I couldn't pick her up. She may choke me. So I... <laughs> You know, so I'm standing out in front of this car. I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do, and it's just pouring down. I look up under the front trunk area, you know, the motors in the back on them things, and uh, ain't nothing in there, you know. What am I going to do? All of a sudden, I heard this loud racket coming up out of the swamps. And I thought, my God, what is that? And I whirled around. Here come one of them monster four-wheel drive. And this guy just run up in that mud hole where I was at and cut a donut. My God, just to show me he could. He rolled out in the window. Looks like you're stuck. <laughs> That's a revelation right there, brother. Oh, country fella, overhauls on, you know. And I said, could you get me out of here? He said, oh, yeah. Oh, he lives for stuff like this. He lives for it. Because he's going to try to kill you in the process. <laughs> he said, you know, he said, you must know the good folks upstairs. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'd never run this route this way. He said, I'm back here checking oil wells. He said, I work for this major company. He said, this is always my last stop in the day. This is early in the morning. He said, this morning, while I was praying, praying in the Holy Ghost, I had this feeling come on me that I needed to run my route backwards today. I said, praise the Lord, sir. Praise the Lord. I praise the Lord. He said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I said, sir, I was a kneeling and praying for you to come. Because <laughs> I was going to do something stupid. He said, you got to change. He said, hell, I got to change. I said, why don't you just get behind me and pull me out? No, I'm going to pull you through it, then pull you back through it just to show you that I can. <laughs> so he got up in front of me and I hooked up this chain, tromping in the mud, you know, and got the chain all hooked up. I knew not to hook it on the bumper. <laughs> when he got all that 600 horsepower hooked up to something, it's going to snatch my bumper down through yonder. So I got it on up under yonder, you know, and got something that would not snatch my car apart. 
And he said, let me know when you get ready. And it's raining so hard, you know. I got back in the car and I stuck my arm out the window and I was telling him to, to go. And he couldn't understand what I was saying, so I stuck my head out. And I said, go! He showered down on him. Here come that mud. Wow! <laughs> but, but, listen here. I prayed. I prayed. He hooked that truck up in that mud and that thing just power driving me, snatching that little old Volkswagen, 1,700-pound Volkswagen, snatching it down through there with this super trucker mudder. Boom! Pulled me all the way down through there. And we never did work out the details of how to turn around. But he had done figured it out. Anybody ever water skied behind a boat before? When you turn the curve, what happens? You double your speed. When he turned that curve in that mud hole to come back, he slung me out around. <laughs> and I tell you, we were singing, I'll fly away, oh glory, my God. But I did pray. He drugged me all back through that mud, got me out on good sound, gravel and ground. Then he got out of the truck. And I offered to pay him and said, no. He said, that's the most fun I've had in a month of Sundays. <laughs> and mud is all over the car. All over me in my hair and my ears and my eyes, up my nose and my mouth. I said, Thank you, sir. He said, You better thank the Lord, son. <laughs> he said, Because I wouldn't have been here. And you said, You know you back here in the swamps. He said, Ain't nobody else has got good sense going to come back. <laughs> So he had basically calling me crazy. You know what I mean? But I know this for a fact. If I hadn't have been on my knees that morning, that truck would not have come up that path out of them swamps. Only where a truck like that could go. He's never in his history of working for that company run that route backwards. But that way he did. He even told his wife. He said, I had a conversation with my wife about this this morning. And she said, well, honey, you never go that way first. You always make that your last stop because you'd be closer home. He said, I just had this feeling. I'm supposed to run it and run it backwards today. But I'm here to tell you where he got that feeling. I've got a feeling. Woo! The thing's going to be all right. Woo! I'm here to tell you, if you pray and seek God, God will get you some help. You're praying out things you don't even know. Now I could tell you story after story after story after story like this about myself. And you say, Brother Randy, you ain't that dumb, are you? <laughs> but God rescued me every time. I'm telling you, the Lord will help you. Listen, when you're praying, don't get weary in well-doing. 
Don't get weary. Just stay with it. I'm not saying you got to pray 24 hours a day. But if you'll just start seeking the Lord. If you don't have an hour, start where you're at. But I remember I prayed a lot of times, many more times in an hour. But at least, even no matter how busy I was. And of course, I should be doing that. I need to do that. You know what I mean? In, at that time of my life and every day of my life. And, uh, but I started doing that. And it's amazing how things work out different for you when you begin to pray and you begin to seek. I'm not saying the attacks won't come now. But through it all, God will rescue you. He'll have you in the right place at the right time. He'll have somebody cross your path. Something will happen. So what do you do? You read the Word of God. Meditate on it. Mutter it aloud to yourself. Meditate on the Word. Isn't that right? I'm talking about you individually. Yes, corporately you come. You principally. I'm talking about you privately. And then... You spend time in prayer. You pray with your understanding. Pray all you know you need to pray in English. The Lord don't mind that. He wants you to talk to Him. He wants you to ask Him. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. If you've got a problem you need a solution to, just ask Him what the solution is. He'll give it to you. It may not be immediately, but it'll come. If you've got a question you need to answer to, Put it up before him and ask him that question. Just like you would sit down and talk to anybody. You ask him. Like I said, you may not get it that very second. Sometimes you may. But he will answer you. Then, after you've done that, pray in the Spirit. You say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. I mean, there's things that may come my way. I don't know how to pray. I didn't know when I was praying I was going to get stuck that day. But the Lord did. And I believe me praying in tongues spoke to that man's heart yes. and it caused him to reverse his path because I might still be walking out of them swamps. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing how that these things, if we won't be distracted, I'm talking about just taking that personal time with the Lord and don't be distracted. Don't let things distract you. So Brother Rena, I don't have time for an hour. Take time. Set aside a time. And, and this is what is this be consistent too. And uh, but this is what I found out too that works for me. If you will <clears throat> do it about the same time each time, you'll get kind of in a routine, and it's kind of like the Lord is waiting on you. That's the way He used to do with me. He would be waiting on you, and He can't wait to talk to you. I, I mean, I, I've had the Lord. I've been talking to people before. Because when you get real close to him, I'm telling you, when you get real close, to him, real close, just, just do any simple truth. Just simple. Just be simple-minded. Don't try to figure it out all. But you're going to, you'll have a relationship. Just knowing the Lord, I've been sitting talking to good people. I mean, real good pre preachers and everything. And the Spirit of God would say, quit talking to them. In my spirit, he'd say, quit talking to them. He said, I want to talk to you. Come and talk to me. Will you come and talk to me? Will you spend time with me? And all the time in my spirit, I'm saying, yes, Lord, yes, but I don't want to be disrespectful. I, Lord, I don't want to. He said, do you love them more than you love me? You see them all the time. You talk to them all the time. He said, I want to talk to you. And I would eventually dismiss myself gracefully, not tell anybody, you know. And I would go and kneel down on my knees 
And I, I, there's, I can't describe to you in, in English words the experiences I have had when His glory overshadows you. I, I don't know. It's like Him just wrapping you in His arms. His anointing comes on you and I, so when it comes on me real strong, all I can do is weep. Not for sadness. But I'm just so blessed. And it comes how? By being simple-minded. Just be simple. Don't try to figure him out or if I do this, did I do that enough? Don't be concerned about it. Do what these simple principles say. Word of God, have it in your mouth and your heart. Have a consciousness of his word. You know, mutter it aloud to yourself. Pray with your understanding all you know to pray. And then pray in the spirit about things you don't know how to pray about, but you know there's things that need to be prayed about. And every time it's going to bring you to a place that you're going to know the Lord on a personal level if you'll be consistent with it. You'll know the Lord on a personal level that you really can't describe it to somebody else till you experience it yourself. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and I'm, I'm not saying you hadn't had that experience, but if you've had it, you know what I'm talking about. And it belongs, to, and it's not hard. He's not a hard taskmaster. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's not going to beat you on the, over the head. You know, because you didn't do this and didn't do that. I mean, if you need to get something right, then that's a different story. But if you come to him, he's going to love you. Amen. If you ask for his help, he's going to help you. So remember, the Lord woke me up the second week of January, 1.15 a.m. in the morning. And it was actually on a Tuesday morning because I went to bed Monday night. And he said, don't yield to distractions because this year will be a time of distraction where the enemy will try to distract you out of the place that I have for you. But I knew it was for the people. And, and I, I tell you, I have encountered distractions. I have. I know others that I've talked to personally that's encountered distractions that's come their way, you know. But it's no condemnation. It's just as a revelation that the devil cannot stop us if we seek God. And we stand upon his word. The enemy can't keep us out. Are you encouraged? Are you going to do it? Would you do it? Listen, what I'm talking about is better than winning a billion dollars in the lottery. So how is that possible? Oh, Brother Randall, let me try the billion and I'll tell you. <laughs> I kind of think the way you do. But I'm talking about, it's just something about that relationship with Jesus. When you know him personally, you know him personally. You're not just talking about him. You're not just hearing somebody talking about him. You know the spirit of God inside of you. Oh, it just makes you want him more. It does. Makes you want to spend time in his presence more. I remember one fella that I read behind some of these older saints that used to do this a lot are gone on, you know, and you don't hear a lot about this no more. But during the night, the Lord would wake him up. Sometimes at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, and have him go sit in a chair. The Lord would tell him to go sit in a chair. And he would go sit in a chair there in his house. And he said there would be times he would hear the Lord walk. He was upstairs. He'd hear the Lord walking up the steps, the steps queaking. You know how the steps will squeak when you, if they're not screwed down and glued right, you know? And he'd hear the steps squeaking. And the Lord would walk into the room and begin to talk to him. This went on year after year, month after month, 
week after week. And I'm not saying the Lord came that way every time, but every time the Lord would show up some way as he sought the Lord. And he said that, that many people thought he was strange. You know what I mean? Because he was giving himself to the Lord that way. But he said it was the greatest thing he'd ever done in his life. And when he went on to be with Jesus, he had a personal relationship. And that's what Christianity is about, ladies and gentlemen. It's about you knowing Jesus before you get to heaven. It's one thing to know him here. It's another thing to know him there. He wants you to know him here. He wants to help you here. He wants to be involved in your life and your family and your children and your finances. Don't be distracted. And there's no condemnation. No, no. So don't go with that attitude. I'm not getting on anybody. Because the Holy Ghost is helping us to stand up.